Good morning, everybody. It is Daniel Wortman coming to you live from the Dreamaginate Sports Studios. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. West Coast wake-up call and all time zones in between and around the world. Thanks for tuning in this Tuesday morning, May the 28th. Coming up after the break in just a few minutes is Dan Vaughn of the Protagonist USA Project. They are doing incredible media work covering the lower leagues of American soccer. He and all of the guys over there are protagonists and uh, look forward to chatting with him about uh, all of uh, all of the, the different things that they're looking at covering as well as just American soccer in general. So stay tuned for that. That's coming up here in just a few moments. But uh, to kick off the show today, I just wanted to kind of uh, give – you know, some thoughts and ask some questions. I don't know if you've ever thought of this in this way, but tomorrow we have the uh, Europa League final in in Europe, and um, it, it's got, you know, Chelsea and Arsenal playing in the final, and then on Saturday we have the UEFA Champions League final between Liverpool and Tottenham. And... I don't know if you've ever ever thought of this or have ever considered this, but why does this area of the world not have tournaments with neighboring countries on this level or at least close to this level? Why is the, the CONCACAF Champions League something that most American soccer fans know little about and if they if they do know about it it's very it's very much something not promoted on american soccer media why is that why is the u.s open cup a domestic cup here in for for american soccer clubs why is it not celebrated why is it not promoted and and pushed to all corners of American soccer, why is it is 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 there not a ton of noise around that tournament? When we look at Concacaf Champions League, when we look at the U.S. Open Cup, and when we look at the UEFA Champions League, and we look at the Europa League, 
and and these finals that are coming up, you know, beginning tomorrow and then again on Saturday. What factors into those? Well, there's a few things. Scale, quality, excellence, sporting merit. All of these things factor into these finals. When we look at American soccer, can we say that there's excellence? Or is it mediocrity? Can we say that that there is quality? Or is it subpar? Can, can we honestly say that we celebrate sporting merit? Or do we have a system of gatekeepers? When we look at American soccer and we look at it in the through through the lens and in in the light of sporting merit and things we see around the world it doesn't mat it doesn't measure up it doesn't add up our clubs are not good enough and on top of those we have franchises that are not good enough we have a system that locks people out unless you pay them a fee it doesn't matter how good you are on the field. You could theoretically assemble the world's greatest collection of talent. Rocco Camiso has the money. He could go out and theoretically buy the best 18 players in the world. So you could you could you could theoretically have a team in this hypothetical situation of Messi and Ronaldo and Hazard and Mbappe and Pogba, you could have all these incredible names all over the place from all over the world, all of these leagues, all these teams, Van Dyke. You could have all these names assembled into a team. You could have the the rebirth of the New York Cosmos and the greatest collection of talent ever amassed into a club. And guess what? They couldn't play at the top level in American soccer unless two things happened. One, Major League Soccer agreed to let them play. Gatekeeper issue number one. And number two, that Rocco Camiso pay them an entry fee to join their league set by Major League Soccer. So he'd have to pay $200 million on top of the investment he put into his his amassing the, the world's greatest collection of talent ever seen in the world. He'd have to get their permission and pay them off just to play in the first division. And you wonder why our soccer isn't reaching the level of, of, of teams around the world. You wonder why we don't celebrate CONCACAF Champions League, why we don't promote it. It's because, it's because we're not as competitive as we should be. The reason why we don't highlight the U.S. Open Cup and incredible stories and, and, and seeing more and more matchups between Major League Soccer and USL Championship sides along with amateur sides, we don't want to highlight clubs and stories outside of the few at the top we don't want sporting merit it's the only opportunity to see sporting merit on the field in america and we 
don't get that opportunity. It's not fully realized. The Federation works hand-in-hand to keep amateur sides under wraps. Makes it difficult for them to participate. It makes it difficult for them to have these Cinderella moments. And you, you, you can't sit here and say, well... You know, an amateur side can't be hosting, you know, the L.A. Galaxy in a local park. Have you watched the L.A. Galaxy or any of these other MLS franchises when they play in the U.S. Open Cup? They rarely play these games in their main home stadium. They're typically playing in an auxiliary setup or somewhere else in a much smaller venue Kind of a, hey, don't don't come, don't look, wink, wink. We have to play this because the Federation says we have to play this, but we don't really want you to know about it. We don't really want you to come. We don't really care about this tournament. If you're going to do that, you might as well put LA, LA Galaxy on a bus and travel to, to the home stadium of the lower division side that they play. Do what the Bundesliga and what the, what the German system does and requires that every it's not a coin toss. You don't get you, you don't have to pay for hosting rights. If you're the lower division side in Germany and you play in the German Cup, you're hosting the higher division seed. Period. It's written into the rules. You they literally bring the professional game to places in Germany that wouldn't would rarely get to see a Dortmund or a Munich. We don't get that in this country. We we don't we don't appreciate from a federation perspective sporting merit. One of the principles, the core principles of the global game. We don't appreciate it. We can never amass world-class talent, world-class teams and world-class and and, and create a world-class league when we are doing mediocre at best the two don't go hand in hand we're never going to reach a level where we're in this region with canada with mexico with central america we're never going to reach a level where we are operating with excellence and seeing concacaf champions league rise to the level that it could be as long as american soccer is held down by its own federation. The U.S. Soccer Federation literally keeps its foot on the throats of American soccer. It, it, it prevents upward mobility. It prevents club viability at the highest levels. There is a proverbial glass ceiling. You can only rise so far, and then you have to start paying people off. To join a league, you have to get accepted into their league. It doesn't matter how good you are. You could be Rocco Camiso and have that collection of talent, it doesn't matter. USL has to decide, hey, we're gonna let you in and play at Division Two. Don Garber, MLS, they have to they have to decide to let you play in MLS. And at the same time, you have to pay them. You have to pay them an entry fee. That doesn't go into the that doesn't go back into the game. That doesn't go into making sure that your team's any better. It just means you have to pay them off to get in. It's absurd. We're not we're not focused on quality. We're not focused on excellence. 
we're not focused on becoming the, the greatest soccer country we could become. We're not interested in that from a federation perspective. And despite proclamations that they say and things that, 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 they, that they tweet out or statements that they put out and how they, they're interested in growing the game, actions speak louder than words. If you're truly interested in growing the game, then get out of the way and let clubs rise as big as they want to get. Let the clubs decide for themselves if they can run a good business. Let the clubs decide for themselves. So part of the issue I have with people who who squash sporting merit and open systems, one of the issues I have with, with these arguments is, well, we have, to, we have to protect quality. Well, we don't have quality now, number one. That's the first thing we have to recognize. Number two is in an open system, you look around the world, Premier League, Championship, League One, League Two in England. You look in, in Spain, La Liga, and you keep going down from there. You look in Germany, the Bundesliga, Bundesliga Two, going down from there. What do you see over and over? Despite clubs coming and going, the Premier League is still the Premier League. La Liga is still La Liga. Serie A is still Serie A. Bundesliga is still Bundesliga. The clubs come and go. But the league remains. Why? Because the league is just the current container of clubs. It's just the structure in which clubs are competing. It's the clubs themselves that that are the important piece, are, are the focus of, of these leagues, are the focus of these systems. So when you have an open system that is based on merit, that's based on on-field performance. Clubs will come and go. If we had an open system tomorrow, there would be teams that would be, that would be very ambitious. Teams that would invest money. They would try to build a, a quality roster. They would try to get to the top. They would try to work their way to the top as quickly as possible. And guess what? Some of them are going to crash and fail. Oh, well. That's the reality. If you do well, you get rewarded. If you don't do well, you go down or you stay where you are. The only guarantee is that you get the opportunity. It's what you do with it that matters. It's that way in business, and it should be that way in soccer. In America... It should be about the land of opportunity. It should be that if you are in El Paso, Texas, or if you're, if you're in Knoxville, Tennessee, and you want to build a club, and you want to see how far you can take it, go for it. If you succeed, kudos to you. If you fail, figure out what happened and see if you can rebuild. But that's the realities of an open system. No one, no one gets to come in and tell you you can't. You have the responsibility on yourself, on your shoulders, to get it right, to figure it out, to hire the best people, to find the best players for your system, the way you want to play, to represent your community and your club. And if you do well, guess what? You can, you can take that club as big as you can get it. If we want to unleash American soccer, we have to embrace the economy of scale. 
The U.S. is the biggest, greatest sports economy on earth, and yet when it comes to soccer, we're not even taking the game serious. It's a joke. It's a side project. It's like a side bet. It's not something that we heavily invest in. It's not something that we've unleashed. And it will never be until every community and every club has the opportunity to rise and fall on merit. And when that happens, we'll see players getting transferred. We'll see sport we'll 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 see sporting merit matter. We'll see training compensation. We'll see solidarity payments. You know why? Because the clubs will demand it. It'll be a natural byproduct of the system. What we have now is is a is is a direct result of a closed system. We don't have these other things and, and clubs aren't really understanding what they're missing out on because the system itself doesn't reward it anyway. So when we open things up. When we open things up and we provide opportunity to everyone and we let clubs rise and fall on their own work and we don't have to worry about paying off gatekeepers and getting their permission to go play, we are going to unleash potential like we've never seen before in this world. And that is what I'm hoping comes soon. And, and I hope that clubs around this country realize the opportunity before them to organize and get together and realize, hey, we can we can do something special if we begin to come together. So the sponsor for today's show is Charity Water. You can learn more about Charity Water at charitywater.org. They are changing lives, changing villages one person at a time by providing clean drinking water. Check them out at charitywater.org. We will be back right after this with Dan Vaughn of Protagonist. पहला मोपनी बच बच्चा अवस्था में रहता है मेरे मेरे क्यों कल्पना करेगा तो ना कि तो आइली को बच्चा लाइ मेरे शुद्ध हरी अथवा उन्हें अगर क्लास में गया रहते निकली बंदी मेरा बंदा हरी उन्हें एक बच्चा हरी एक क्लास दो क्लास तीन तीन क्लास का बच्चा हरी उन्हें अगर सहज ही रुका चाहिए तो ये तो
Falling too fast to prepare for this Tripping in the world could be dangerous Everybody circling this vulture is Negative, nepotism Welcome back to the show Thanks for tuning in this morning And uh, we are really delighted to have joining us Dan Vaughn of uh, protagonist and uh, so many other aspects of American soccer. We're going to be jumping into that right now. Dan, welcome to the show, and thanks for coming on this morning. Daniel, thanks for having me on, brother. I really appreciate the chance to talk to you and your listeners, man. It's a real honor. So uh, before we get into all of uh, the protagonist stuff and, and, and some of the media stuff in general, kind of give us a little bit of background about you. Like, how did you get involved in the game and and why um, why has it taken such a hold, such a big part of your life? Well, you know, I um, have always been relatively active in journalism. It's always been sort of side projects, you know, writing for blogs, uh, done some newspaper work in my time. And about five years ago, uh, myself and a couple of friends actually started a podcast. Um, it's dead now, Bury My Heart USA, but it was an MLS podcast. Um, and they were both MLS fans, and I was sort of a soccer fan, and that was about it. So I would sort of participate. I was sort of the host, and they had more specific insights and were able to talk about the teams. And over the course of years, we, we did that for three years. And as we did it, we started this segment called the Lower League Team of the Week. And I would do some research and find a lower league team. And then I would talk about them on the show sort of as an opportunity to open up uh, MLS fans to maybe clubs they had never heard of. And in some cases it was clubs I had never heard of either. Uh, But because of that, I sort of got connected with some lower league clubs and began to understand the landscape a little bit. And then that podcast died and wasn't a hundred percent sure where to put my efforts, but me and some friends, started talking about maybe some sort of media outlet, um, uh, a podcast first, and then it became a website idea. And that's really how I got involved. And, and I think there is, there's a passion that I have for lower league soccer that is fed by the passion of so many people that are already involved. When you talk to, you know, club owners and players and coaches, these people, most of these people are donating their time or actually actively losing money and they are so passionate and so filled with enthusiasm for the game that it rubs off on you and it makes you want to be a part of it and to put what you have into the game, whatever skin you have. And in my case, it's the ability to write. And so that's what I do. So in your writing and covering and kind of, you know, picking up on the the first podcast you were on, you got, you started doing this, look around the, the country with lower division soccer, what connected with you with in, in regards to lower, le, uh, lower league soccer? Was it passion? Was it discovering these stories, these origin stories, and just going, man, hey, look, this, this is fascinating to me personally. What was the draw, the draw for you to, uh, to, to, to go down that path versus what your other two co-hosts were looking at in terms of Major League Soccer? I, I think that there is something democratic and with a small d, um, the idea of you know participating in a sport that maybe doesn't have a bunch of uh, money that's going to give you these opportunities, but instead it's going to be what you do is going to be based off how hard you work. And that is 
you know, we can, we can get there eventually, you know, hashtag pro Ralph USA. But whenever you, you, you look at these clubs, they don't have any advantage. They're not, they're not coming from a silver spoon, everything they've done, they've had to create and work and they grind it out every single day. And if you're not inspired by that as a fan, I, I don't know what inspires you because being around that and seeing, you know, these, what so many club owners that I've talked to over the, over the years that I've done this um, are losing money, but they are no less, no less into it, no less inspired. Um, they're willing to sacrifice what they have to, to grow their clubs and to take care of their players. And so that kind of passion inspired me. And I think that, you know, you mentioned what, what inspired me to get into it, the passion. Yes. But you also mentioned the stories and that's part of this too, is that, with the, the, the breadth of the grassroots soccer movement across this country, that there are so many stories that are not being told that could inspire the next generation or could inspire that fan to make the jump into this division and really start paying attention to what's going on here, that they have to be told. Someone has to tell them because right now um, there's just not a lot of media coverage. And so it inspired me to get into this game to, to, again, to put what I had into it. And so that's what brings me um, to where I am now. And it inspires me every single day and all that we do at the website. Speaking of, of kind of lighting the, the torch uh, and the path for current clubs, future clubs, future, you know, communities who want a club, one of the things that I I often talk about when I'm when I'm speaking with a lot of these lower league clubs is if you look at this from a business perspective, the businesses that scale, that are big, that are large, that that have you know reached a level where you look at them and you go, okay, like they're they're blowing and going, like they're kicking it, they're you know, and they they're they're household names, they're usually you know chains like big stores big businesses etc they've done they what they've done is they figured out how they do what they do do it well and duplicate it replicate it that's how you achieve scale um processes things like that that they can do to, to achieve scale and 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 what we're lacking in american soccer it is a lot of things, right? And we, you know, and we will get into the promotion relegation conversation in a minute, but we're lacking a lot of things, not, not just the, the lack of a system that rewards sporting merit, i.e. promotion relegation, but we also lack clubs really understanding the business they're in and, and really being able to scale their efforts, even in their local communities, clubs who... You know, if they were a small business, three, four, five hundred would not be enough to sustain you to make enough money to to be a viable business. So thinking about how do we scale that into a community, if you're you know, if you're in a city of, of 30, 40,000, you can be in the top division in 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 a league like Ibar in Spain. We, we, we have accepted a reality that you have to be in New York or L.A. or Dallas or Chicago to, to have a, a fully scaled 
professional enterprise in soccer. And the truth is, you could be in a city of 50,000 people, a community of 100, 150, 200,000 people, and if you figure out how to do what you do well and 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 figure out how to handle the the economics of scale for for your organization in your community, you can actually become viable locally first, which once we do get to the open system is going to only accelerate your ability to rise and grow because you're 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 not playing catch up at that point you're ahead of the curve you're ahead of the game and we've seen those stories kind of been you know being told um there are anomalies in the, in lower leagues like a Chattanooga like a Detroit um who who have basically been kind of the guiding light for a lot of clubs a lot of inspiration has been drawn from those two stories and some others but those stories if you get into what they've done and you and you research what they've been what they've been doing and learn either from their mistakes or things that they've gotten right and begin to apply that where you are you can build some things of scale that can have your club just by doing what you do better um, operate at a higher level even in in your local scene and and that ultimately is part of that shift in in mindset to you know how can we do what we do look at it from a business perspective reach our community do more to get more people involved internally in our club as volunteers as leaders etc but also getting out into the community and, and turning three or four 500 into a thousand fifteen hundred two thousand keep in mind i, I had eric winald on the show a, a couple weeks ago and he told me that that los angeles los angeles galaxy 2 los dos the uh division 2 usl uh, team of the la galaxy mls franchise had their largest attendance when eric's team las vegas lights showed up in LA to play them and it was just under 800 people at the game and that was division 2. So this idea that that numbers aren't achievable uh at scale when when you see an AFC Mobile in the past who's had, you know, over 1500 in a Gulf Coast Premier League match, FC New Orleans in a preseason match before ever playing in the GCPL had over 1500 for a friendly and, and, and other stories like Chattanooga and Detroit uh, around the country that are doing things in lower leagues. Um, you know, I, that's something to me that I, I don't think we talk about enough. What have you seen when you talk to these clubs, when you shared their stories, when you're interviewing them? Are, are, they, are, are some of them starting to think about how do we do what we do better? How do we... How do we take the next steps with our club and go beyond our current reality and, and reach for kind of the next level with what we're doing? Well, first of all, Daniel, this is a subject that myself, my staff, and those owners that we talk to regularly discuss a lot. I mean, we discuss this idea quite a bit. Um, and, and, you know, the problem at least this is, and let me, I will say, I want to say that the, the American soccer landscape is big, it's wide, and there are anomalies in every single, you know, whatever example I could give, there's, some, there's a counterexample. But I would say that oftentimes 
Um, lower division clubs, specifically, I would say those clubs um, more often in the UPSL than the NPSL, but those clubs are oftentimes formed out of existing academies. So these are uh, existing uh, businesses that have they've aged out their players. They want to they want to continue that connection of their players and player development, and so they enter into a league. and And that's a model that has been used all over the country. Um, there are other models as well, but that, that is the model. But because of that, the people that are running those organizations often are very adept at uh, developing talent, working with young people, uh, coordinating travel, uh, dealing with day-to-day operations, but they're not PR people. Um, they're oftentimes not social media people. And because of that, the connection that 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 gap between club and fan or club and city is not being bridged as effectively as it's necessary and so these clubs oftentimes have a very hard time connecting with a fan base who could who could help support the club maybe not pay for things immediately but over time build up a fan base that's going to show up for matches uh purchase your gear uh, be invested in the success of your club, which will drive interest, and 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 it's it's a self-sustaining machine at that point. Um, but but I do think there is you see some growth happening there with certain clubs. You know, this year we've been writing a bit about um, the process with the Denton Diablos and uh, uh, what Damon is doing there. He's the owner, and, he, and and some of the things he's doing now. Damon's background is PR. This is what he does. He's 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 a pub, I'm not sure if it's publicist, but he works in that um, in in advertising. And so because of that, he naturally does this. And I think there's going to come a time when every club needs to have that person who who thinks the way a publicist thinks, who who thinks the way an advertiser thinks, because that's how you grow your brand. Um, I will tell you that. I really believe that while uh, obviously the the product on the field is probably the most important thing, it is a very quick second to say, how how well designed is your crest, your logo? Um, How active is your social media? Are you using all your social media outlets or only one and ignoring the others? Those become so important to sustain your growth and bring in fans. And I do think some clubs are getting it, but I am also afraid there are a lot of clubs who continue to not, you know, we're as an organization, we, and I, as an organization, protagonist soccer, we reach out to clubs all the time uh, for stories. Um, Often we we do a a regular Monday uh, piece called spotlight. And what spotlight is, is we, we take a club, um, sometimes well-known, but usually one of the smaller clubs and we send them a list of questions and allow them to respond in a very organic way. And then we post the responses as a way to introduce fans to a club that maybe they would never heard of before or maybe never connected to. You know, last week we did GPS Omens, which is a very well-established club, but they play in the Bay State Soccer League. And if you're not from Massachusetts, you may have never heard of GPS Omens. Um, Today, uh, we ran a piece on, uh, or excuse me, yesterday, we ran a piece on uh, uh, Bear Fight SC out of uh, Delaware. If you've never heard of Bear Fight, you should check them out. They are an incredible club. But, but that idea of, of finding these little tiny clubs is something that we, we really strive for at Protagonist Soccer. And I can't tell you how many times we've struggled to contact clubs 
through their posted emails on their websites that oftentimes are not updated, through their social media that they're sitting that are sitting dormant. Like those are things that strong organizations don't fail on because they 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 recognize the importance. And I think that more clubs need to see the importance of the front facing, what what are fans going to see and come in contact with and focus on that. Completely. And and what you're describing is that next level operation as a club where you, where you are embracing all aspects. One of the things I, I sat down uh, recently with a club and we're, and we're was talking through uh, some of these dis- different aspects of, of becoming the, the next version of yourself, a better version of yourself. And I, I pulled up the Premier League, and, and one of the things the Premier League in England does so well is every single club has kind of a general leadership hierarchical setup right there with the Premier League website that you can go through and look at. Here's what Liverpool's front office looks like. Here's who, in, who is in charge of the stadium. Here's who's in charge of... PR, etc., and not everybody's roles are are you know titled exactly the same. Manchester City's structure isn't identical to Liverpool's, although you know all the same jobs are getting done, but they may be getting done where one person is wearing a hat handling these things versus uh, maybe another person for Liverpool's handling part of that, but something else, etc. But you know that. All of those aspects, when you're operating at that level, are getting getting done, no matter what title is given to one person versus another. But the helpful thing about looking at that is that's a roadmap to look at where you can dig into these clubs and see, hey, man, they've got people covering merchandise and covering food, covering stadium security, covering stadium, stadium operations, commercial sales, you know, all of these ticket sales, ticket booths, all of these different levels. And, and so one of the things that I try to, to explain to them is that, that what you've got to do is basically kind of go on a board and write all these things out. And right now you may not have a person for each one of these roles. And so some people may be wearing multiple hats, but these are the jobs that have to get done if you're going to operate next level from where you are right now. Right now, you might might be doing a good job on the field, but you're not handling your PR. You're not handling your commercial deals. You're not handling some of these other off-the-field community-related activities very well, and it's and it's precisely because you haven't even identified what those things are and how they need to be done within your club, even though right now you may have one person wearing, you know, the hat of sales manager and and stadium operations and whatever by themselves, you, in order to start getting these jobs done, you got to start figuring those things out. And then as you grow, you can kind of take your name off of the list, you know, with, with, with so many jobs and start handing them out to other people as you're able to grow and scale. And uh, it, it's a less a business lesson I, I, I learned years ago, and it's been so helpful in being able to kind of paint a roadmap of where you are, where you want to go, and how you can get there from your reality that is the present to what you want your future to look like and 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 actually getting it accomplished, which kind of leads me to to my next question and kind of changing gears here. 
protagonist and and this media project and kind of this iteration of your focus and your energy and covering the sport, covering the lower leagues of American soccer, when you guys set out to start this and, and you've kind of talked around it a little bit as we've been talking, what what is the goal for protagonists? What are you guys trying to achieve with 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 this uh, website and with this project in terms of an impact on American soccer? Well, Daniel, I will tell you that the big focus for us is that we treat grassroots soccer, lower division soccer, we treat it with the respect and the dignity that we would treat any other league and we truly believe and i and i say we i i am the i'm the sort of founder and editor and i've got a i've got an assistant editor joshua duder and then we've got a staff of somewhere between 10 and 13 writers who volunteer in and out and you know depending on what their their day job is you know whether or not how much time they have to give us but but our our group of you know 15 16 people working on this project is to give a voice to leagues that deserve a voice. And, and I say that not as if, not, not to say that there are leagues that have not earned it, but to say that the existence of your league deserves respect. It deserves dignity. And you should operate your club with that dignity and respect that, that you want to receive. I, I mean, I think that's, that's something that we learn even as children is that how you give out is what you should expect back. And, and I think that, the right currently, the level of coverage of of the UPSL, the NPSL, the regional leagues, the Gulf Coast, like all those sort of up and coming leagues that are growing right now, that there is just not enough coverage, and the big boys that operate in sports media and sports journalism have effectively ignored this level and have been doing it for a long time. The only time you'll ever hear them talk about it is in the Open Cup. And that's, you know, it's the stories like, you know, Christos scoring that first goal against DC United. And, you know, right now it's Florida Soccer Soldiers. You know, I know for a fact that a reporter who I respect very much, who writes for The Athletic, is going to write about Florida Soccer Soldiers. And contacted me looking for information about the club. Why? Because there just isn't any information about the clubs because no one's covering them except for, you know, very, very few outlets. I, I, I don't want to be rude or disrespectful to a local blogger who may be working specifically on their club. But the reality is, is that the vast majority of clubs were getting zero coverage. And you can see that in their media strategy that they're used to not being covered. Um, they are almost always shocked when we contact them to talk to them about a story or to ask them about information about their club. And that is, for me, that's a shame. That's, that's so sad. When you think about the amount of players who are playing in these leagues, thousands and thousands of players who are desperate for any sort of press coverage, something that might open a door for them with a larger club, um, something that might, you know, or even, even, if, even if it's nothing but, but, but like a, something for them to show their family as a, you know, look, look, I'm being written about in this, in this uh, website. This is, a, this is a national website and it's writing about me. Like these are things that 
you know, I'm a fan of soccer. I love soccer as a fan and I'm very passionate about it. In fact, I was asked that on, on, on a show one time, like, how do you watch soccer? And I, and I watch it as a fan and I write about it as a fan. You very, very rarely will you get me into a space where I'm writing in a way that's incredibly critical, but I tend to focus more on what I would describe as like positive stories. And I, and I feel like that because there's not a lot of people telling these stories. I don't need to tear down a league or a club um, on a regular basis to feel better about myself or to, to do some sort of hard hitting journalism. That's not what the, that's not what we need right now currently in the setting. But what we do need is honest journalism that's, that's professional in nature that allows clubs a platform and it allows players a platform for their stories to be told. And I, for me, when you know, when I sit, when we sit down and have our staff meetings, we talk about the projects we're working on. Um, we we often we often laugh at ourselves because we uh, we jump around to idea to idea, and that's true. We do. We're we're always have another idea. Oh, we should write about this. We should do this. And you know, we have we have different uh, types of of columns that we run on the site. One of my favorite is 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 a column we call Kicking Back, and Kicking Back is about uh, the history of the game in the United States. Talk about something that is basically ignored uh, by everyone but a few Twitter handles. But that people think that MLS is when soccer started in the United States. And it's such a crime. I mean, I guess they've seen, you know, the grainy footage of Pele playing for the Cosmos in the late 60s. But, like, we, we have a soccer history in this country that goes back almost as far as it does in Europe. It's, it's only removed by 20 or 30 years before we before it kicked off in the United States. This is a game of immigrants and those immigrants came from Europe. And this is, this is a story that needs to be told because it, it allows purchase. It allows people to invest and become interested in a game because it has a history and we should be celebrating that. So, so I said all that to say that for, for those of us that write for the site, um, this is about uh, giving the beautiful game the coverage it deserves. We, we have a tagline on the site, which is, says lower division soccer, but professional coverage. And this is, this is what these players, these operators out there that are running these clubs, this is what they deserve. They deserve to be treated like the professionals and they may be amateurs in their pay, but it requires professional diligence and it requires professional training, and it requires a tremendous amount of professional, almost endurance, to work the amount of hours these people are putting in, and they deserve professional coverage from a media outlet. I completely agree with you and concur uh, with your conclusion about the coverage as well as, as the treatment of lower division clubs. One of the things that, that I as we've been talking uh, in this interview about these clubs is, is the thing that I hope for, for these clubs, the things that I uh, wish for them is to aspire to take the next step, to build the next level, whatever that is, you know, whatever, you know, where, whatever your background is, you may be a, what I call a generational club. And so it's figuring out how to have your first teams and your youth teams better connected and bringing in those families so that you have more in attendance reaching into your community. You may be more of a, of a men's team that was formed uh, like a Chattanooga or Detroit, 
where you didn't have the youth academy that that you were sitting on top of as a first team, you just started as a team and and you started building and building in the in, into your grassroots, into your community, etc. Whatever the case, whatever your origin story is, to me, it, it that that's just a fact. I mean, it is what it is. You're not going to go back and change your origin story, but it's more about figuring out where, where you are, who you are, and then what you can do to kind of build on that. And the fact that, that, that we have, you know, people like you and, and this project like protagonist starting to, you know, shine a spotlight on these clubs around the country and saying, Hey, you matter. And, and we want to tell your story. We want it. We want to share your story is so important and it's it's really something that that you know um although i don't think that the u.s soccer federation you know has to be a media company i do think they should do a better job of highlighting some of these stories especially some who have you know really risen and and gotten some prominence like a christos this year like soldiers out of out of florida cal fc in the past uh, and others who have you know either gone on open cup runs or whatever that that those stories should really get highlighted and 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 told around the country in, in in much the same way that Ibar in Spain has inspired so many around the world, and and coming from such a small city in Spain to rise into the first division and, and they're still there. There's you know they still have been have been succeeding and playing and doing well in the league, uh, in La Liga in Spain and and so. I, I want to see those clubs in this country look and say, hey, here's what's possible. Let's dream big. Let's work even harder. Let's take the, ne- the next steps. Because when I look at the American soccer landscape, and this is really w- where I want to shift for a minute, when I look at the American soccer landscape, there's a lot of things we don't do right. There's a lot of things that we, we are messing up on, and, and, and the blame on, on a structure system level it lies first at the feet of the federation in terms of not being FIFA compliant in all things and all ways. And, and that sporting merit promotion relegation. It's also training compensation, solidarity payments, all of these different issues, right? These are, these are macro national issues that the federation should be doing its job in being a federation for all, not just a few, but at the same time, I'm a both and guy when it comes to this, Yes, we need all of those things. Yes, we should be working on those things. I and others are always trying to figure out ways to to build that despite the Federation, unfortunately not because of the Federation. However, it doesn't excuse us, just like it didn't give you an excuse to kind of just go, hey, well, it's not really prominent. It's not really happening. So why am I even going to waste my time with protagonists? Instead, you've been proactive. And, and all of you guys who have been involved with protagonists have been proactive in being, living up to your name, being a protagonist and taking action <laughs> and, and actually covering the sport even though right now the economy of scale is not there in the lower leagues precisely because of our structure, because we don't have access and opportunity for clubs to rise on sporting merit. When you talk to these clubs around the country, are, do they really understand how much potential there is in American soccer if our system was FIFA compliant? I think, I mean, you know, even like the project you worked on, uh, 
with with your letter to FIFA and and all the signatures that you gathered, it's clear that clubs and supporters groups and media outlets see that, feel that, want that. There is no doubt that that is the case. Uh, I I but I worry, and and I and I and I, and I think that you were you were hitting on this as you, as you approach the question that we cannot wait for FIFA to step in and force um, the Federation to do something that it's reluctant to do and think that that will solve every problem, that it will fix every, every um, you know, suddenly we'll be in, in paradise. I think that we have to, <laughs> there's, there's a phrase that I, I like a lot, which is dress for the job you want. And if we truly want to be a system with promotion relegation and to be FIFA compliant and all of the things that would come along with that, the mobility and the potential for, for, for growth and finances, all of those things, and, and even, you know, a better environment for up and coming soccer players. Like if we, if we want that, we need to start working towards that now. And I think that the step for that, and, and it's beginning to happen already within the leagues, but that we should begin to form uh, hierarchies um, with tiers and begin promotion rele relegation within these leagues, within these lower leagues. And eventually, uh, because if you wait for the Federation, it will, it may never happen, begin to organize our lower league system into a functioning pyramid, the base of the pyramid. That would take a tremendous amount of work on the part of those in leadership. And it would also take um, humility on the part of some people in leadership to accept except a lesser level of the, of the, of the tiers, uh, you know, to be the lower, to be the true lower league in comparison to, you know, the, the upper league. And, and there's nothing wrong with that because we all accept that there are different tiers in every other system and no one in ninth tier in England is complaining that they're in ninth tier other than they just want to get promotion to eighth. And that is what we should begin to working here now is begin to, to, to have the leagues work together to get to something functioning. Because I think, that if we're waiting for the Federation, I, 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 I first fear that we may be very disappointed in the amount of time it may take to get there. Uh, I, certainly the efforts to involve FIFA and to bring the might that they could uh, is something that gives hope to all lower league soccer fans, but it is also, we should be honest about what FIFA is and their track record is not always good in making ethical right decisions. Uh, there's a reason why a lot of people go to jail from FIFA headquarters, and that's because they get involved in money-making schemes that are not good. And if money-making is your concern, then whether or not we have promotion relegation in the United States um, and, you know, irritating a federation that so far is a great moneymaker for FIFA whenever they hold the World Cup here or whenever they bring, you know, these friendlies or these massive international, you know, friendly competitions to the country. It, they, in some ways, U.S. Federation may have some leverage on FIFA, and that would make it very difficult for FIFA to force them to do something. Again, in a perfect world, of course, this would be the case already, and we wouldn't even have to have this conversation. But I think that the lower leagues now need to become organized. We need to focus on stability and, and growth is great. And some of our leagues in, the, in, 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 this, in, uh, in our level 
are great at growth, but we need to begin to focus on stability and growth of the individual clubs to begin to make them sustainable. And I think that we could go a long ways uh, within the leagues if we began to work at educating and working with the club and the club operators at an individual level to find solutions for the problems they're facing and begin to train them in, in, in social media or in public relations or in advertising, where those gaps are currently, that we could begin to sustain this massive growth. I mean, we're seeing growth of, of the leagues, which is mind boggling sometimes how many new clubs are announced just, you know, within a matter of days, you'll see two, three, four clubs being announced. Those clubs need sustained growth. They need, they need for the leadership of their leagues to step in and begin a tutoring process on how to engage their fans and sustain their growth and to work with their local municipalities, whatever is necessary for that individual club and begin to tailor their education so that they are a club five years from now and 10 years from now and 20 years from now, and we get generational growth and those become stable operators and it puts more pressure on the upper tiers to begin to recognize what's going on at the lower tiers. But again, I, I, I think that to go back to your original question, there is no doubt that the lower tiers, the clubs that are operating are hopeful that there will be change coming because they think that there's opportunity. Like they, I do not think that the people that are getting involved right now are doing it uh, without a hope, without an inspiration for what the future could be if the doors would open. I, I completely agree. And, and one of the things in, in looking at, you know, the letter you, uh, that you mentioned, um, w that Chris Kessel and I worked on in terms of bringing to FIFA's attention that there are more than just a handful of clubs in this country. There are in fact, hundreds, I actually believe there are thousands, um, of clubs here that, that really want opportunity and access um, and, and, and that's, that's part of it. You know, it's part of, of, of this process. It's not the only thing. And, and so that next step is coming together and, and formally organizing some of these pieces that you were just referring to. And as you were talking, it reminded me, uh, of part of the, upside down backwards aspects of american soccer versus other countries and it's this here here in america when 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 you started getting into okay hey we need to get these clubs in 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 these leagues you know organized and some of these leagues are going to are going to have to accept that they are you know maybe a little lower on the pyramid than than maybe they thought of themselves or they want it to be or whatever the case may be in american soccer we treat leagues over clubs around the world. Right. A league is just a container of clubs. It, it's not the be all end all. If you're ninth division in England, as you referred to, it's clubs over leagues. The clubs themselves are aspiring to go up to eight, up to seven, up to six. The league is just the container for whoever's there at that point. It's almost like a timestamp. It's like a time machine on, on a Mac it, for, for soccer. It's like, hey, let's go back to 2015, open up the time machine, and see what 2024 clubs were in the ninth division. 
it's not a a permanent league structure. Therefore, leagues don't really get into wars with other leagues. They just get sanctioned at a divisional level, one, two, three, five, ten, whatever. And it's the clubs that are then operating within that structure, that container of competition and schedule to get to the top of the heap, to move up to the next level and the next level, et cetera. That's part of what we've got to wrap our hearts and minds around when we're having this conversation about organizing the lower leagues in America in terms of UPSL, NPSL, GCPL, all these leagues. It's got to be about the clubs, not the leagues. The leagues have to be obviously part of the conversation, but the priority has to be getting the clubs into alignment and recognizing that the NPSL, the UPSL, or whatever else comes about is merely going to be a container of clubs for that moment, for that year, and that clubs are going to come and go based on sporting merit. And so now it's not so much about holding on to mine. It's about running and operating a league, a container of clubs for the clubs, not for the league. And 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 that's to me one of the things that are gonna is gonna be so critical in this next phase of, of activity, moving past, you know, what we've done, referring to what Chris and I have worked on in terms of this, this the letter and the stuff with FIFA. We we've sent co- copies to CONCACAF, CONCACAF Nations, etc. But it's also what comes after that and it's that organization of clubs organization of leagues and understanding that if we're really serious about promotion and relegation if we're really serious about fifa compliance that we have to place the value on clubs over leagues just like it is around the world in terms of opportunity access and that these leagues are open-ended on the top as well as being open-ended on the bottom based on sporting merit that doesn't give us an excuse to say leagues don't matter. It doesn't mean that we should treat leagues with disdain. It means that as we're organizing, we understand that we're connecting all this together for the clubs, for the competition. That's the heart and soul. That's the heartbeat of, of club soccer around the world is clubs. And, and in America, we, we, tend to celebrate leagues but it really should be about these individual clubs as we're you know going through this shift in organizational structure and mentality about how we perceive a league versus a club in order for us to make real progress that's got to be you know at the forefront of that conversation um, as we you know take steps to go forward and build and build something and I completely agree with you. Build something that forces FIFA as well as U.S. soccer to take notice that clubs are doing their part to get organized, to get better, to, to, to get into FIFA compliance. We can't wait on U.S. soccer. There, you know, would it be great if, if we could just, you know, basically run U.S. soccer for a day and 
announce, hey, in five years, MLS, USL Championship, USL League One, blah, 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 blah. Here's all the rules. Here's everything. Boom, this is done. This is launched in 2024. Sure. But that's a pipe dream. It's not going to happen. What we have to do is look at look at what we want and then figure out the reality and the steps of what we can do. What we can control, we should work on. And, and the things we can't control, we should try to influence. And uh, I love the fact that you guys are doing so much in that, that sphere. You're covering the game. You're bringing legitimacy to clubs all over this country. Uh, keep up the great work in, in, in that with protagonist um, because it is making a difference. It is highlighting stories that need to be told uh, because the more we shine a light on these issues, the better off American soccer is going to be in that regard. I want to leave you with one question as we kind of come to a close. Um, and, and it's been a great chat. We could go on for another hour or two, I'm sure, talking about all kinds of issues here in American soccer as well as media coverage. If you were in charge of American soccer for a day, you were made king of American soccer um, for a day and you could do anything with, with your power for a day, what would it be? What would you do? <laughs> well, I, we have a series. If, if you know, I'll plug my website, protagonistsoccer.com. If you hit that up, we actually have a series called Realigning the Pyramid. And we asked that question of all of our writers and each of them gave their own response. I think that of course, promotion relegation and installing an open system would be so vital to moving things forward. Uh, but I think that's also a given in the sphere that you and I and so many other people move in. So I, I would say that one of my favorite aspects of American soccer is the U.S. Open, Open Cup. And of course, you know, as we talk about this, they're about to start round three, and we've only got two amateur sides left in it. I would love to see them truly invest in the Open Cup. Uh, make it important. Make it matter. Um, bring in MLS clubs earlier so they have to play amateur sides so that there's a risk of them losing to a side so that we might get these great David and Goliath stories because they're so good for amateur soccer. These opportunities when players, you know, you know, it's been, it's been great seeing um, these uh, matches get on the ESPN plus great, but you know what? They could have started in the qualifying rounds because, and I know, you know, this Daniel, but the matches that were going on in the qualifying rounds were just as fascinating, just as incredible, just as interesting. And it would, instead of only helping one club get a voice, it would help two clubs get a voice. It would be multiple amateur sides getting national, um, national exposure. And if anything, isn't that what the Federation should be about? Growing the grassroots level, which will feed all the talent all the energy into the pyramid that will lead to these future leaders of the sport in this country. They start in the grassroots. And even if that means they start as fans of a club sitting in a metal bleacher somewhere in West Texas or the Florida Panhandle, that's okay because that is where it begins. And that's what I would do. I would prioritize the success of the grassroots level first. MLS, could be a great thing 
if it was open and we had actual involvement of the tiers below it in it. That would be a fantastic, wonderful league to follow as we see these investments begin to pay off for those in the USL or those in the NASL now, now defunct, unfortunately. But we, we could see mobility going on and it would drive the interest. But first, we have to start with the grassroots. Let's begin to grow the game at a level where it needs it the most. But I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this with you, Daniel. And yeah, we could go on for a couple hours. Certainly so. And um, I really I really like your answer there. It, it is spot on in terms of growing the grassroots. And really, the Federation should be a federation for all. That's to me, the point of it all, if you're if you're operating at the at the federation level, that should be what you are, um, you know, looking to do is is be a federation uh, for all, and in doing so, you know, you're growing the game, you're you're taking care of the game, uh, you're the caretakers, I, I guess is a good way to say it. So, thanks for coming on the show, Dan. Really appreciate it. We will definitely have you back on soon to dig into to more subjects. Uh, how can people follow you and follow the protagonists on uh, social media? Sure. We're primarily on Twitter. If you search for protagonist soccer, you'll find us. Uh, but it's at protagonist USA. That's our handle. That's where we are. And you can, um, we, we update very regularly. We also tag our other, uh, any of our other writers or the side projects we're working, they show up there. If you want to follow me personally, I'm at soccer barista. Um, we have a protagonist podcast handle. We have several um, uh, podcasts that come out of our organization as well. Pitch Perspective, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that. Stephen Ramirez's work out of Southern California has been really great. But all of those outlets, and like I said, protagonistsoccer.com, we will be there. We'll be following the lower game, and we'll be growing the grassroots. Really appreciate you coming on, and uh, good luck with the work and uh, continue all of the great work that you're doing. It's making a difference, and uh, hopefully together we can all help shine a light on uh, these clubs, these lower leagues, and uh, get us uh, closer each day to uh, a brighter future. So thanks for joining the show, Dan. Thank you. That was Dan Vaughn with Protagonist Soccer. Um he, he, man, he was a pleasure to talk to and, uh, and a great guest to have on. Uh, and like I said, we could talk for hours about all these different subjects, different topics. But uh, I, I definitely think if you're not following them, if you're not reading their work, check them out. Protagonist USA on Twitter um, and, and connect with the guys. Um, follow their work. And if you're a lower league club, reach out to them. I'm sure they would love to talk to you and, and share your story as well. So thanks for watching the show. Thanks for tuning in each and every weekday live at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can watch live on DanielWorkman.com or you can download the podcast uh, afterwards and listen later. So uh, thanks for joining the show. We will see you again tomorrow. Yeah.